0: This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. It is a real pleasure to welcome the... International Visitor Program of uh, Department of State. And I think that one, one of the things that we were talking about in our reception uh, before the talk was the fact that oceanography is so international because it's so global. Uh, in fact, in oceanography, we only talk about one ocean. We don't say the oceans. It's the ocean uh, because it's all interconnected, and although we draw pretty lines on it for EEZs and other features, the ocean doesn't pay attention to those. It's and the and the organisms in the ocean don't pay attention to it. So it's really important that we uh, that we work together internationally. And this group is very interested in conservation in issues uh, of the sustainability of the ocean. And it's very appropriate then that our speaker is Octavio Alberto. Uh, This remarkable scientist here at Scripps uh, came to us from Mexico. He has touched so many areas related to conservation and has also made it very much a part of his life to connect that research with what's happening on the ground on real conservation. So he heads uh, an important program uh, uh, that's related to uh, the Gulf of California. Uh, he's been involved with the uh, uh, conservation efforts around that very endangered marine mammal, the vaquita. Uh, he has had a very personal uh, involvement and relationship with the development of uh, conservation initiatives at Cabo Pulmo. Uh, many of you are familiar with that area and the fact that the community there uh, decided to embrace conservation, tourism, and sustainability, and now has a more vibrant economy than it did when it was solely based on fishing. And today he's going, and and also those of you who are familiar with the aquarium know that he's responsible for the remarkable photography around uh, to your left and in the gallery to your right. Uh, He's an amazing photographer as well as an amazing scientist, an amazing conservation leader, and he's going to talk to us about yet another one of his interests today: mangroves, the skin of our coasts. Octavio.
1: Well, thank you very much, Margaret. Um, the Scripps Institution of Oceanography, the aquarium, with all the, the team that has been supporting me from many, many years ago. And I will show you some of these um, pictures. Um, also, our guests from many, many parts of the world. And, and, of course, all of you that are here to to hear something about this special environment. So I have a big challenge because probably many of you have seen many of these photographs. So uh, last week I was l- looking at my portfolio of images, trying to find some of the images that probably you haven't seen, like this one that I took 17 years ago. It's a, it's a mangrove a very special mangrove in, in Baja California. It's a small lagoon. You will see other, other images, but I was trying to show uh, my family, because in that time I traveled a lot to, to see my parents. Um, what are the importance of mangroves? Um, you can see that they basically grow in the interface between the, the ocean and, and the land. And they form this um, amazing barrier that protects us. And, um, and this is another perspective of, of, the same, um, of the same protection or the same service that mangroves provide to, to, to humans, to, to us. Um, and that is the reason why I have been calling it the, the skin of our coast, because in the same way that our skin protects us, uh, to many nature um, things. Uh, mangroves protect uh, coastal areas for erosions or against the erosion, against hurricanes, and they provide many, many, many things for us. And so I will show you to you many, many of these ecosystem services. Um, now, 17 years later, let me. Let me go back. And um, that, that image that you saw was taken with an ultralight. So basically it's these small planes that only the pilot and me uh, were there and, uh, and I had to carry two cameras with me and take the pictures. Now, 17 years later, uh, with drones, with the drone technology, you can... You can use these uh, very amazing devices, very incredible um, cameras. Uh, Back, this is another lagoon, very small lagoon, Zacatecas, is this mangrove lagoon. La Paz City is over there, also in Baja. I used to go every every month. It's very easy to go there and sample inside this lagoon. We were collecting fish to, to study them. But, but again, 17 years, old, 17 years later, uh, we can do this amazing uh, work with mangroves, and, and I will show you at the end of my presentation some of the ideas that we are how we are using these new technologies to understand and also to preserve these um, ecosystems. So, let me go back to my presentation and. Um, it's very interesting because uh, mangroves are only uh, five zero, 50 species all around the world. In Mexico, we only have three species. This one is the red mangrove. And this image that it's here, uh, you can see uh, how big uh, this species it is when they have a freshwater input. So this is a picture taken in Chiapas in a very, very big uh, lagoon, and these trees, the red mangroves, constantly have these uh, fresh water inputs. But the same species in Baja where it 's very dry, they only reach um, two meters three meters, and this is the the northernmost distribution of the of the red mangroves and you can see the plasticity, the flexibility that these species have to adapt to this um, to the environment's conditions. So if you ask me why, what is the, the most important thing or, the, or why you have been storing mangroves, well one of the reasons is, is this one um, mangroves start growing the, the, you can see the the seed, the seed, start growing even before it detaches from the mother tree. So this is basically a juvenile tree, and they are just waiting for the right conditions, like this upside down mycel, to go directly to the bottom and basically start a new plant. And you just need one of these trees, one of these trees, to start. Uh, Generating these ecosystems. If they don't find the the right conditions at the moment they go down, they can uh, drift for several, a couple of months. And again, just when they find conditions in rocky habitats or in muddy conditions, they will start growing. And 100 years later, you can see something like this uh, complete ecosystems. And you just need very, very few of these trees to to basically finish with these amazing ecosystems. Also, you can see that they form these calm waters. When they separate the ocean and the land, there are, most of the time, they form these lagoons. And many, many mirrors could be very jealous about the reflections that they can produce. This is an upside-down um, image of the reflection of the entire forest, and this is one of the reasons why um, many species uh, use these ecosystems to to live or to go there during part um, during part time of their life cycle, like birds or uh, or fish and many species that probably you have um, eaten, snappers, grunts, blue crabs, shrimps, they use mangroves to survive, especially when they are juvenile. Um, I'm gonna tell you more about this, but probably this is the reason why mangroves have been called the, the top of the nursery habitats in in many places around the world. In the same way that kelp forest um, does it for regions like here in California, mangroves um, do it in other other parts of the world, especially in tropical areas. So once these fish grow, or once these species um, uh, leave these nursery areas, they go offshore, and it's there where humans receive all the benefits of the mangroves because we fish uh, whatever survived or or was exported from the mangroves, and we have many, many fisheries. In in areas like, for example, the Gulf of California, 30% of the fisheries are related with mangrove areas, so this is this is what the reason or one of the most important reasons why mangroves are important. So, when I was young, seventeen years ago, um, well, actually a little yeah, fifteen, fifteen years ago, I came here to study my PhD, and my PhD was related with nursery habitats, and one of the nursery habitats. Uh, were mangroves. So um, together with my colleagues, Jose, Tomas, and Isai, uh, they, were, um, they were studying in the university in La Paz. We decided to uh, form this team to study uh, these different mangroves along Baja California Peninsula. So we started in La Paz, uh, here in the bottom of the map, and um, we decided to, to do this journey, journey, these expeditions to study these different coastal lagoons. And we did it in a very, very tough way. Well, actually, it was very funny. Uh, we used this small boat, and everything that you saw in, in the pictures here, our tents and, and coolers and everything, uh, had to to be compact because we only had this, this boat, The four of us and the captain, we traveled all the way from La Paz um, to Santa Rosalia in the middle of the peninsula and visit all these beautiful lagoons. So it was very amazing, one month traveling um, and, and counting and doing estimations of this, um, everything that lived inside these lagoons. And sometimes we had to fight with the, with the tide, with the low tide, but sometimes in the high tide, it's very, very spectacular. So what we did is to visit these different lagoons. Some of them are more rocky. Some others are more sandy. And you will see what is the, the main difference. But you can see inside the, inside the, the roots of, the, of these red mangroves, um, because they are very shallow, the visibility is um, um, enough to count all the small fish or the juvenile fish that live inside. And we put more attention in one of the, um, one of the most important uh, commercial species in the region, it's the yellow snapper. And, um, and basically, we, we counted all these uh, animals, and the first message that I want to share with you tonight and, and it's, this is a very boring slide, but it's, it's, it's important because you, you can see that we have the science, uh, and also it's important because uh, these two graphs represent, um, or, or the message is that when you have more mangroves, we found more yellow snappers. You can see that it's, the trend is positive and it's all, always increasing. And this is important because having more mangroves, in, in this case in the Gulf of California, in the Baja California Peninsula, represent more, more habitat for these species. And then we calculated how much or how many of these animals go to the offshore reefs. And we did it in, the, in 2007, and this is the total amount of yellow snappers that were exported Uh, between all these 50, 51, 54 uh, small lagoons. And we did the same in 2009 and we counted uh, much, much more um, yellow snappers. So again, this is important because more area, more mangrove, more suitable habitat for these species represent more of these um, species. And the other important thing is that we went outside, we went offshore, and we sampled in all the different habitats that the uh, sub-adults or the adult animals live. And this, again, this is very boring, but if you see here, these animals have, have moved or moved between the different, the different uh, habitats that they found. So at the end, Um, This is the science. So we generate all this science and we summarize our findings in in, um, drawings or in um, infographics like this. That basically is the life cycle of the species. The yellow snapper starts as larvae in the open water. In some way, they found the mangrove habitats. They live there for one year, one year and a half, and they move to shallow rocky reefs and they go to the deep rocky reefs. And all this life cycle, the second message that I want to share with you tonight is that this life cycle uh, needs a minimum of four years to be completed. So um, this is very important because sometimes we destroy something like uh, a house or a hotel or a stream farm Destroy the mangrove in the co- in a coastal area, and we won't see any changes in the in the fishery or in the adult population until four years later. And by then, as humans, we forget very easily, and uh, and by then we start uh, wondering what, what's happening, why we have less snappers, and and nobody will. Um, uh, remember that actually the problem was, happened four years before. So, this is very, very important. So, the second thing that we did is that um, if this is happening for one species, the yellow snapper, maybe it uh, will happen for many other species. So, what we did in this new research that was, again, part of my thesis, is that we put together two databases landings of all the species that are connected with mangroves and the amount of mangrove that we have in the Gulf of California. And this is what we found. If you have more mangrove area, you have more landings. Yes, first we showed that if we have more mangrove area, we have more abundance of one species. Second, we demonstrated that if you have more mangrove, you have more landings. But the nice thing about this is that now we can, tr- um, we can convert these landings into money because people like us go to the market and pay for these landings, yes? We don't necessarily pay to go and see these tiny animals inside the mangrove, but we pay when they are uh, in the market. So something that we found is that, um, some, something very important that we found is that all the mangroves in the Gulf of California produce like $20 million every year for fishing communities in the region. And in a per unit of area basis, we found that just one hectare of mangrove produce five hundred thousand dollars per year just in fishery products, just in fish and snappers, and just having uh, the mangroves there, just in a natural conditions. This is the benefits that we receive every every year. Now, what happened in the, in Mexico, in the Gulf of California, as happened in many places, is that there are many other economic activities that are fighting against having a natural environment and um, or, or needs to compete these natural conditions with other economy. This is um, a development in in La Paz, but there are many other economic activities that are competing with with mangroves. So the problem is that again is not only the problem losing a hectare of mangrove today; it's also how much money we, l- we will. Uh, we lost, or we will lose in the future, especially for other generations. So, for us right now is thirty-seven, uh, five hundred thousand dollars, but for future future generation, it could reach up to one million dollars um, because this. Income, these revenues won't be produced anymore once we destroy these mangroves, and this is this is uh, some or this is one of the problems we because we as humans we don't connect uh, these problems in a in a time series or in a time frame. Now I finished my PhD finally, and. Uh, <laughs> And I started working with other colleagues. And, and I started working with other students. And we, we wonder if fish connect in, the same way, in that way with mangroves, probably other species connect with mangroves in, in the same way, but probably in larger scales. So my thesis was about a regional a situation. Basically, I study studied only the, uh, the, the services of fisheries for uh, the um, economic activities in the Gulf of California, but what happened with other species like geese and dogs that travel from Alaska all the way to the Gulf of California to spend their wintering time or their winter uh, their winters here in these lagoons, but in their way back or when they go there, there is a huge industry um, a hunting industry in Mexico there is a hunting industry, but it' not um, cannot be compared with the u s and the Canada hunting industry that it 's very very huge and, um, and also represents a lot of uh, money so we basically departed from the same hypothesis because the life cycle of this species is basically the same like, like a fish, but, uh, but in a larger scale. So we performed the same analysis. This is boring. And actually, w- there is one colleague, one of the co-authors of this paper that, that, that um, has explained me the theory behind this analysis many, many times. But for me, this is what represents. <laughs> if you have larger coastal lagoons and if you have more mangroves, you have more birds um, migrating. So many of these lagoons support more migratory birds just because there is more habitat and there is more healthy habitat because uh, many of the productions, uh, many of the primary productivity that is related with mangroves is basically the food for many of these species. And of course, if you have more uh, birds migrating, in the way back or uh, in this transition, you will have more hunting activity. So the summary of this uh, story is that for every square kilometer of coastal lagoon in Mexico, uh, there, is, there are around $1,800. Produced in the U.S. hunting industry. Only, only in uh, the stamp, stamp, dog stamp sales here in the U.S., but when you put together um, all the money that these sales represent, it's around $4 million every year, and if you multiply this money by the expenditures that the hunters and um, Spend in, within this industry, it, it could be uh, you can multiply or we can multiply this number by a factor up to 20 times. So it's a huge um, money that represents this cycle and, and it's um, I mean, I can tell you many things about how we can preserve these ecosystem services, but for sure there should be more connections between countries, and this is the reason why diplomacy is very important because you can see that the ecosystem services are beyond, um, or the benefits, the economic benefits, are beyond national um, borders. So, again, one hectare of mangrove represents ecosystem services for fisheries, for water and purification for biodiversity, for erosion control, for hurricane protection, for carbon sequestration, many, many ecosystem services. Maybe right now we are receiving these uh, benefits in some way. And actually, let me um, talk more about carbon sequestration. As Margaret mentioned, right now, there is a lot of um, efforts um, talking about what oceans, what the coastal ecosystems represent for climate change. And mangroves are one of the most important um, ecosystems that are, can help us fighting this um, climate change because they sequester a lot of carbon. They produce a lot of biomass. And then you can see here the net of roots that, that uh, trap all these biomass, all these productions, and sometimes with the help of other tiny animals like this crab, you bring all these biomass below ground, and it's there where many, many things happens. Actually, this is, um, I mentioned Jose at the beginning 17 years ago, and we uh, are still working together. Now there are other members of, of the team that we collaborate in this uh, research. Ismael and Matt Costa, that I think is here. I am, it's over there. He's a student uh, here at uh, Scripps Institution of Oceanography, and he is studying um, how mangroves are sequest- sequestering these uh, carbons. And they use this course to go very deep uh, inside the, the ground and collect these these samples, and after different things that they need to do, they collect these um, these samples in many in many areas. Also, there are different conditions. I have very funny funny videos about Matt trying to to do this, um, but um, it's uh, very very important because. They bring these samples here, uh, and together with other, with the help of other students, they dry the samples. They um, analyze the content of these samples, and, and in doing that, we have been um, understanding many many important things. Like for example, if you go down in the in the moth or in these sediments, just going one meter. In deep, it's like uh, traveling in time and back to 1,000 years ago. And, um, and we have found that some of these very, very tiny lagoons in Baja have been growing on top of themselves for 2,000, 3,000, even 5,000 years ago. So something that we haven't done, again, humans, these connections in, in time is that it's not only about how much they are sequestering right now is that, imagine a a lagoon that has been growing for two millennia and how much uh, carbon is below ground under all these sediments. So this is the the important part because these tiny mangroves maybe are not as uh, impressed like the ones that I showed you at the beginning of my presentation. But these tiny ones have been growing on top of themselves for all this time, and they have accumulated a lot of mangrove. Um, actually, the estimation is that uh, it's only, they only represent 1% of the the coverage in northwest Mexico, only 1%. But they have around 30% of all the carbon that it's sequestered in the northwest Mexico. So it's it's huge. So now, you can understand why scientists have put all these numbers for each of these services. And if you add all of them, and here is only one sample, a sample of all these ecosystem services, but if you add all the values that um, these services have, you can reach a value, a total value, just for one hectare, one hundred by one hundred meters, around two hundred thousand dollars per year. Per year. So this is very, very important, and I don't think or it will be very difficult to find um, economic activity that now, if you put it in perspective, will compete with with mangroves. But again, humans, humans. Um, are doing this, we are doing this. Um, and it's a challenge because, of course, we need to grow. There are many, many things that uh, we, need to, we need to have in order to maintain our families, our communities. But um, also, uh, it's, it's, very um, it's a very huge challenge to, to do it. So let me finish with bad news right now, but I'm going to start talking about good news. This is the last thing that we are um, evaluating how dams in, uh, in rivers are impacting uh, mangroves and this is one of the most important uh, lagoons in, in the Gulf of California is Marisma nacionales is the largest one in, in the Gulf of California and what we did is to find to compare this lagoon that The main river that feeds this lagoon is the last river in Mexico that doesn't have dams. So what we did is to compare this river, that is the San Pedro Mezquital River, with uh, other three rivers, and um, and we evaluate what is happening in the mouth of these rivers. So El Fuerte was dammed in 1956. Santiago was dammed in 1994. And there is the Acaponeta that doesn't have a a barrier in the main flow of the river, but it has some uh, tributaries uh, that are basically changing the, the river. So these are satellite images. The red is all the shoreline that has been lost by erosion. And the blue is the sediments that have been accumulated since... 1975. So basically you can see that when you don't have a dam, you, ha- you gain a shoreline. When you have a dam, you lost the shoreline. So basically Fuerte and Santiago in the mouth of the rivers have suffered a huge changes. And this is with satellite images, but you can go now with Google Earth. Anyone can go and check what we did, because we went to and used Google Earth. And you can see El Fuerte, an image of February 13, 2004, and an image in, of uh, 31st March 2015. Only 11 years later, you can see how much uh, erosion has happened in El Fuerte, in that mouth. But the, uh, but the San Pedro Mezquital is still growing. It's blue. So this is some of the things that we have been seeing, and, and it's kind of scary because if you see El Fuerte, everything that has been lost is mangroves. Mangroves. Um, we went there, and we did a transect in that mouth of the rivers. The A is the San Pedro Mezquital River. It has everything from the beach all the way to the mangrove forest, but in El Fuerte, you can see that you only see dead trees. And right now, the waves are uh, hitting the, the, the beach, but because there is no more sediments, basically the ocean is gaining uh, terrain and basically destroying everything over there. So let me, let me finish with uh, some ideas about the big picture. I think the most important thing right now, uh, in the morning, some... Somebody asked me, uh, Octavio, and do you think this valuing these ecosystem services have a repercussion, especially with politicians, with decision makers, or to change the law? And my, I say, my short, short answer is yes, but needs to be done together with a huge effort of science communication effort. It cannot happen unfortunately just by publishing a paper and is, expect that politicians will read it <laughs> and uh, will understand it and, uh, and, and then make a different loss. So we connect these publications with huge uh, communication efforts like the ones that you see here and then the newspapers start talking about. This is in Spanish but something like the, the government of Mexico is underestimating the value of mangroves. And once the, the topic reached the newspapers, there are many things that, that happen. It seems that people over there start working or start putting efforts in changing the situations. So the other thing that uh, I think uh, needs to happen is um, how scientists or science could be translated in a, in a language that probably more people can under, understand what we are trying to, to say with all these graphs, with all these publications. So we have created uh, initiatives like this one. You can check Datamares um, website, datamares.ucsd.edu, where there are stories about these publications that I just show it to you, but um, but the language and the way that it's uh, in the way that they are written, uh, it's completely different. But we maintain this the robustness in the scientific results. So I think more people can read it. And actually, something very nice is that if you click in this infographic you can interact with the data. So this is, uh, again, Matt's uh, samples. Each of these circles are the samples that he has brought from many parts of, of the Gulf of California, and you can click in each of these ones. You will see how, how deep the sample um, uh, went, also how much carbon each of these samples uh, has, and also uh, the, the lagoon, where the sample was extracted, so people can interact with the data, and also they can read um, this text in a more uh, digested way. Like, for example, how much carbon is, is packed into mangrove moth. and you can read it. And I hope that it's it's more easily to to read. Um, so the other thing that um, I think needs to needs to happen is how we can bring the technology to anyone to use it um, and also in, and very important in real time because I can, I can come every year or every two years to give you a lecture but in two years we, ha- we will lose more mangrove areas so it's very very important to bring technology faster and see how decision makers, how the general public can interact and see these things that are happening. This is another uh, project that we are involved. I think Astrid, Rachel, and other members of our team are here, and they have been helping me um, proposing new new ways to, to, to see how public understand what is happening. This is Playa del Carmen. It's in the Yucatan Peninsula. And this is a new platform that Google Earth has. It's called uh, Google Engine. And basically, we have been uh, trying to generate these time lapses um, to show you. This is 1984, and we will go all the way to 2016. And look at how small is this everything there is mangrove and this is what has been happening in the mangroves. Um, we need to have this technology, these tools in real time for decision makers because mangroves, especially mangroves, are suffering a deforestation that is very very difficult to, to follow or to perceive because it's not it doesn't happen very fast. It, it's happened very, very slowly. And, and again, but the impact, it's very, very, um, very, very hard. So in a period of 30 years, um, you can see how much um, mangroves we have lost in that, in that period of time. And finally, I think... Um, and, and this is, I put this map. Here is Playa del Carmen, very close to Cancun. Cancun has lost a lot of, of mangroves as well. So we need to um, start using the technology in that way. And finally, we need to tell stories uh, because it's not about me coming here and you hearing what I'm saying about the problems. It's about people facing these challenges uh, in real time and um, on the ground. So I think it's very important to tell stories like Umberto and his uncle Abel. They, they live in this um, uh, tiny island that is called La, um, La Concepcion Island inside a huge marine uh, park, a national park in Mexico La like Encrucijada, And it's one of the stories that is here in, in the exhibition um, what they uh, what they have uh, decided is to preserve their their man, their, their island uh, this this um, national park is suffering you can see here uh, let me see here this is a huge uh, palm oil agriculture to basically uh, produce biofuel, and um, many, many of these other economic activities are basically competing with what is happening in La Encrucijada. They live here, basically in the heart uh, of the entire forest, and what they have, um, they decided to protect that area, and they don't want to uh, sell their land their area, the, the family basically live in a very rural conditions and they want to maintain the, or preserve this area and invite bird, uh, bird watchers to basically generate the income that they need to survive. But the other things that they have been doing is that they protect the area and, and also during uh, spring, they patrol the area. Here is uh, a bell patrolling the area, and they are looking for something very uh, important that uh, are the nests of American crocodiles. And what they do is when these crocodiles uh, hatch, they collect them, and they keep them for one month or two months. Why they are doing this? Because uh, since 20 or 30 years ago, Basically, the crocodiles were uh, hunted, over in the entire lagoon, and almost uh, basically uh, extinct from from the area. So they have been doing this because keeping them for one month or two months they increase the survivorship of these species, and in the same in the same way that sharks help coral reefs to be healthy or healthier, uh, crocodiles are very important to maintain the populations of many, many species in these lagoons. So once they have two two months, uh, they release them, and by doing this for the last 10 years, they have increased the populations of these animals uh, by 200, 300%. So right now, there are more birds. There are more productivity. There are many, many uh, things um, that are the results of the, the coming back of the predators. Actually, this is a uh, publication by a former professor here at Scripps, Jeremy Jackson. And this is a food web of an estuary when people have overfished everything. And this is uh, the food web of, of an estuary without people. And you can see that crocodiles, seals, sharks, and whales used to be the most important top predators uh, or megafauna in these areas. So I think in the same way that Cabo Pumo, Margaret mentioned about this family in Cabo Pumo and how they recover the area, well, there are other examples that they are trying to do that. So for me, telling the stories should be also one of the most important things that we need to to, to do um, in order to attract the attention of the public. This is uh, a Chinchorro Atoll, and there is a small lagoon here, and it's very pristine, and it's one of the few areas where you can approach to the fauna, and they because they don't see humans, or they see humans very rare. Uh, um, you can approach to the fauna, and it's one of the few places where you can snorkel and dive with the same species, the, the American crocodile. So you can approach, you can see the picture here, and um, but again now, that there is a tourism, a, a tourist activity that is generating more income than the income that you can produce hunting these animals. And maybe we just need to reach a balance. It's not one or the other. We just need to reach a balance. And in 2014, I was able to visit the the Galapagos Islands. It's very, very harsh to live there, and especially for mangroves. But we were able to visit uh, 54 small lagoons in in Galapagos. And what we found was something very important, because probably in some of these lagoons, uh, or some of these lagoons are completely pristine. We were the, f- the, f- the first humans visiting these lagoons, and you can see the amount of, of fauna, amount of biodiversity that you can see. These, these were the guardians of, of these lagoons, but once you are inside of these protected areas, you can see, you, right away you can see the, the amount of productivity that they, they have, and of course, as I show you in the, in the diagram of the food web, sharks, when we don't overfish them, they are there as part of the, of the mangrove lagoon. Sea turtles, in one time, we, we in that lagoon probably were, I don't know, 100 um, sea turtles. Um, and everywhere, everywhere you see the megafauna because it's, um, or there, were, there are... Um, Lagoons that are basically in pristine, in pristine conditions. And the other group that was in the diagram is seals, in this case sea lions. This is the Galapagos sea lion, and they were very playful, and they spent a lot of, of time with us um, and, and helping us enjoying the view, um, but basically uh, reminding us that this, uh, this used to be The conditions in many of these areas. So, just to finalise, this year I got this award uh, from um, the Explorers Club and supported by the Rolex Foundation, and I'm uh, basically used this award to try to uh, do more outreach um, efforts um, about mangroves because I hope that I convince you that. They are very, very important. And the most probably the, 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 yeah, the silly part let's put it in this way, is that if we put together the eight countries, the, the cover or the mangrove area that we have in eight countries, we can protect almost 70 percent of all the mangroves in this planet. And I think uh, it's feasible to put together these efforts and convince the politicians and the presidents of these countries that these countries have a huge responsibility uh, for the entire planet. And we are doing more and more uh, outreach products using always science behind. We have these other initiatives that is called The Natural Numbers, and we have produced uh, tiny, tiny videos of three minutes. And one of them is about mangroves. And last year, we won this uh, f- a movie festival in the category of micro-movies. And, and this category was sponsored by the AAAS. And we, we won them the, the first place. Um, um, you can go and see... This video is only 3 minutes and basically summarize what I have said in this entire presentation so probably you go there you will save <laughs> a lot of time and this is our campaign Chasing Mangroves and we will continue doing all these efforts uh, this year and next year thank you